Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he is he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfect, perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So as we look at chapter 4 this morning, Paul or John begins to really shift his focus. He kind of shifts gears a little bit here. And coming out of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, there's kind of a shift because in chapter 3, if you weren't here last week, John really used a lot of language that we are children of God. And what we talked about last weekend about being children of God is how we became children of God and how we're known as children of God. And that we became children of God by God's love for us. It wasn't by what we did or what we can do future and by God's work in us. So we're children of God, not just because of God's love and, and saying, man, God loved us, therefore we're just children of God. But it's also the work he does in us and the work we submit to him doing in us. So there's a process there of how we've become children of God. 
And then we looked at last week how we are known as children of God. That we're known as children of God by our love for one another and our belief and life lived in Christ. And here's the, here's the thing. Can you tell that there is a theme and why I chose our title for this series to be Love One Another? Because we, we often have this view of love, whether it, it seems that either those who are loving are more passive or those who use the term loving are more judgmental. And going, well, love ain't passive, so wake up. Or, or there's the other group that says, well, we just all got to love one another. But John is really trying to preach a balance here of saying, here's what it means really to love one another. And in chapter 4, he kind of shifts his focus. He's been really encouraging up to this point. And now, John, to the believers, and as we read, we see that John's really equipping us. He's saying, you need to be equipped because not, not all things are good. Because at the time, and, and what we see even today, what we have happening in our culture and in our world is that what we're experiencing is there are false teachers and there are false doctrines and there are false spirits. And so not all things are good. And when it came to false teachers and spirits, John had a lot to say. I mean, if you go and you read not only 1 John, but 2 John and 3 John, John is very concerned for the church that they would not receive all things as good, but really discern and, and test those spirits. In fact, this was one of his main concerns. His, remember, his first concern to the church in 1 John is that they understand the identity of Christ. Let, let's, let's understand it's all about Jesus. That's his first end goal, his first focus. But his second is really saying we, we need to know those who are claiming to be true, who say they follow Jesus and live according to Jesus, let's be really clear if they are. And let's not judge them wrongly, but let's judge them rightly. Let's discern here. And so John's concern here is really around a false gospel message that was being shared about Jesus. A very different message than what we see in the Bible. And John wrote in his pastoral red letter to really com combat some heresy that was going on here. And there was a group known um, by their belief as Gnosticism. And the Gnostic believer really leaned on knowledge and, and in power. And they were really approaching things not through the knowledge of the resurrected Jesus, but kind of saying, here's what we believe. It's okay that it doesn't really align with you because we have all knowledge and we're better than you. And, and so their approach was, was really divided. And so John's saying, listen, there's a group among you that's not living according to Christ, that is not living according to Scripture. And so a common phrase that we see John use that you may have heard throughout this time, and we'll hear it more next week, is the two phrases he uses are, by this we know, or by this we are known. And so he really says, listen, here's the understanding of doctrinal, good, healthy, biblical belief, and here's how to go live it. And so really, my, my hope this morning as we cover chapter 4, because remember, we're not going verse by verse. We're kind of looking at an overview to the best of my ability of these 21 verses. What I hope to, to just have us lean into is, is how do we test these false teachers, these false spirits, and, and then really to give us two practices to knowing God's true spirit. So I'm going to try and do that in about 30 minutes or less. So bear with me. But what we're going to do is really unpack what John's talking about. So what he says about, about these spirits is he says, we must test every spirit with the word of God. If you're taking notes, write that down. The word of God. And here's what's important. 
Don't believe everything you hear. This is really important. If mom and dad didn't teach you this, this is a really important piece when it comes to understanding other teachers, other, other material. There's a lot of good content out there. That our, I'll tell you what, young people, our generation has more accessibility to good teaching than ever. Here's the downside. We have more accessibility to bad teaching than ever. Okay, so there's there's something there. We need to understand whether young or old, we all need to understand not everything is truth. Okay, there is good and there is bad content out there. And it would be foolish for us to believe that, man, everything that just people try to slap the name of Jesus on is going to be good because there's a lot of things out there that people say is in the name of Jesus that really isn't. And so we really need to have discernment because if we're not, then we'd constantly be in the state of confusion. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. If you sat with someone and you feel like you sit with them and they just share with you a lot of information. Maybe they know a lot of theology. They know a lot of doctrine. Doesn't mean it's good, but they're sharing it with you. And and by the end, you feel overwhelmed and that you're not not a good enough Christian. You don't follow Jesus good enough. And there's a difference, remember, between shame and conviction. So there's some areas where some mature believers can really share things that will cause you to feel some conviction. Man, I need to really change. I need to submit to the Holy Spirit. But there's a lot of times if we just receive everything as truth that we're just going to be shifting back and forth going, oh man, I'm not living according to that way. And then we sit with another person and then we're easily misled by by those teachings and those errors. And so we need to be careful. We need to test every spirit with the word of God. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter four, verse 12 says this about the word of God. He says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is what the word of God does. The word of God is both living and active. And those two words that really stick out to me that I think should really be our basis of how we test is to to Understand that the word of God pierces through division and that we need to discern. That word really, you'll hear a lot in a big piece of this whole message. And the word of, the, uh, the word of God is a gift. It's an absolute gift. And it helps us discern and know what is truly from God and what is not. So knowing what is from God and what is not, because even that which can be good, of what can appear good at times, can also be bad for us. Okay, so let's just, let's talk about discernment here for a moment. What can sometimes appear to be good can also sometimes not be good. Because the first false teaching we hear about in the Bible it is not later in the New Testament where the believers see these false teachers rise up. The very first is Satan in Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, verse 4, the very first false teacher, as Satan comes forward, it says, in his interaction with Eve, it says, The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, as he tries to convince her to eat from the tree of which God said, Don't eat. And Satan says, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And catch this in verse 6. So when the woman saw... That the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, 
And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate. So you see, what Eve saw in of itself looked good. It looked like it was something to receive. But if you read on in Genesis 3, what that chapter is called is the fall. Because that's when sin enters the world. Because they looked at something that seemed good that was not of God. And that wrecked things. That was harmful. And so sometimes there are some, th- some things that may seem good that, that are moving in the right direction. They seem like they could be healthy. They, they seem inclusive. They seem directional. And, and maybe even loving at times. They can seem like this. But if it is outside God's wisdom, if it is outside God's word, it will ultimately be harmful for us. So we need to be careful. We need to ask some honest questions that will really help us seek what God's wisdom is because good and God are not always the same thing, especially when it comes to how we see things physically and fleshly. Good and God are not always the same thing. And Proverbs fourteen twelve tells us this. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And so how we see things is not always good in the eyes of God, but it may be good in our eyes. And so I think there's some questions we need to ask when we look at discerning false teachers. And I, I just really have this, this heavy on my heart. I'll just tell you, I didn't sleep well last night. I, you know, I was reading through James as we're going to be studying James in the fall. And one of the things that James talks about that I'm going to share honestly with you is that in the role that I've been placed as pastor Um, there's some strict judgment there. God says, I'm not giving you that role lightly. And I don't take that role lightly. And one of the things that my prayer is for you as the church is that you would learn to discern what is of God and what is not. That you'd be able to really discern what are good teachers. Because there are some teachers out there that we call good that are not good. And I could call out a list of them, but what makes more sense rather than me publicly judging them and giving you a list is if we really begin to just seek the word of God. Because if we spend a lot of time on counterfeits, we're wasting time and not having time to spend time on what's true. And so I want to give you three questions really quick that are not in your program, but if you, I would encourage you to write these down, these three questions that will help you really discern if they are a good godly, good in the eyes of God, godly teacher or spirit. The first question is, what do they say about Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? Do they say that Jesus is the only way to the Father, or do they say that Jesus is one of the ways? Because that right there should shut down the interaction, should shut down your listening and your viewing. Because in John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the only way to the Father. No one comes to him. And so let's be really clear on this. If, if someone says, well, I like Jesus, I, I in fact love Jesus, but I don't think he's the only way. I think he's one of the ways, false teacher. That's a big one. Are there other ways that they're preaching? Is salvation their message that is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone? Or, or is there stuff you've got to do? Is there money you need to pay? Is it a $29.95 per month thing and that's how you get your salvation? That should be a big red flag to you. Another one in that is money. 
So, so let's just be really clear on some of those false teachers. What do they say about Jesus? The second question is, do they preach the gospel? And I mean the true gospel. Are they preaching what Paul clarifies to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15? In those first four verses, he says, listen, this is the message I preach to you. This is the message that Christ died for you. You couldn't do it. Remember, as I've said before, we make crummy gods, little lowercase g gods, because we, what we need is the uppercase God. And so do they preach the gospel? There was a pastor once who, in his years of seminary, um, invited someone who was a non-believer, just could see that this woman needed Jesus. She was broken, and he brought her to this conference where there was this renowned speaker who was going to preach and teach, and he thought, man, this will be an awesome opportunity. She'll be received, she'll hear, she'll respond. And he had been, him and his friends had been like talking with this gal and sharing good things with this gal. And at the beginning of the pastor's message, he handed out a rose. He said, I want you to pass this around. So he passes the rose around and he goes through his message, teaching some really good theological truths. All the seminary students are just feeling excited about the theology that he's sharing. And finally, the rose makes it back to him through a room of a couple thousand people, tattered, tainted. And he concludes his message by holding out the rose and saying, this is what happens when you let the world pass you around. Who wants that? Who wants that? And he just preaches a message of shame. Not a message of conviction, but a message of shame. And the woman who has just handed herself off to the world, who actually came out of a season of prostitution, never came back. Because the gospel was not fully preached. That although you were once there, here's what Christ did for you. Because the answer is at the end with the rose, God wants it. God wants the rose. So when it comes to the message of the gospel, can you tell I'm really passionate about this? This is what is important. No one has the right to change or to leave out the message of the gospel. It has to be preached fully. So let's be honest. Do they preach the gospel? Because false teachers will twist a gospel message to either work for you or work against you. But the truth is they do neither doesn't work for you. It doesn't work against you. It's God working in you. So do they preach the gospel? And the third question that we need to ask is, does what they say in entirety, does what they say line up with scripture? And, and there, are some, there are some minors where, where there are some things really taken out of context. We're in a technological age where, where someone can be against a preacher for a two-minute clip to a 50-minute message. You can edit anything I say and make it sound like heresy. Just get the right program. But, but if we really get to the heart of it, are there those that are, that are preaching in a way that don't align with Scripture? Because what John reveals in verse 6 of chapter 4, he, he says really how we can distinguish those spirits of truth and the spirits of error are those who truly know God listen to the apostles are applying the word of God, not just pieces of it. Even when we struggle with it, we're applying the whole word of God. We're putting on the full armor of God. We're being fully aware. Because those who are not of God will reject them. 
saying, I, I kind of like this piece, but I don't like this piece. And this is where we see our culture going. There's many who have come, come out publicly about their stance on many different things. I mean, more publicly, what we know is there's this stance that doesn't align biblically is homosexuality. Another one, though, is the prosperity gospel, where, we, where there's just this message constantly of, if you follow God, things will go well for you. But if you read the Bible, that ain't really true. You want to be an apostle? Get ready to die, okay? So let's be honest about this, that, that a comfortable life is not what you're called to. Okay, so when we're discerning some of these false teachers, what we need church is discernment. But you have, let me just say this, because this is my heavy conviction. We have no place to judge if we're not living according to Christ. So if you are living in sin, don't you dare call out someone else's sin. Because if you have a plank in your eye, as Jesus says in Matthew, don't point out the speck. Let's not judge according to flesh. Let's judge according to Christ. So we need some healthy discernment here. When we ask these questions, it's not to point fingers according to the flesh, but call out truth. Listen, we're called to live one way through Jesus because he is the only way. And so let's ask these questions. What do they say about Jesus? Are they preaching the gospel? And and, and is what they're saying in entirety lining up with scripture? So those are some questions that we need to ask in, in discerning the spirits. And then from there, as we test those spirits and we follow God's word, there's two ways that I want to just share with you of how we can know God's true spirit of what John gives us is that we can know God's true spirit by loving one another, by loving one another. And in the book of 1 John, the word love is mentioned 46 times in 135 verses. John really is trying to drive home a message here. He's really trying to clarify. Continually, he repeats himself that this kind of love, remember, it's, it's not the aggressive judgmental love that I'm in Christ, therefore I have a right to just drive over you. And it's not the passive love of let's just all get along, but it's an active love. It's not a concept, it's an action. And so we're called to love one another, to put this type of love into action, but not based on our standards. Here's where that shift happens. It's not on our standards, but on the standards of how God loves. Because if we're going to love others according to how God loves us, there's a lot that needs to change there. And what John said earlier that I, that I read last week in chapter 3 of verse 18 said, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let it be active. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives us a healthy view of what love is and what it isn't. And I, I love the truth in this verse, but it, it just constantly bothers me how much this feels hijacked for, for just the wedding ceremony, especially those that don't plan to live according to this. And so as much as, as much as I can, I love explaining this, but encouraging couples like, let, let, let's go a lot more biblical than last time you heard 1 Corinthians 13. Let's talk about marriage more. Let, let's not just hijack this verse for a momentary piece, but let's, let's talk long term. Because this, just, this isn't just for wedding ceremonies. It's great to use it, but the truth is Paul's writing this in hopes that this would become the antidote for the dying church for the people of God, the children of God. 
And so what Paul really does is he says, here's the two lists. Here's what love is. Love is patient. It is kind. It rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And love never fails. And love is not. Love is not envious. It's not boastful. It's not proud or rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong and it doesn't delight in evil. Here's the hard thing, church. We all have the, the love is not issue. And so what we need as we look to love one another is not point out in those, here's where you're not loving, okay? Because none of you have been appointed like Paul. I'm pretty sure of that. So let's just clarify a piece here. Rather than try to be judged for the rest of the world, why don't you judge rightly upon yourself and ask yourself, which list am I more in alignment with? Am I rude? Am I really self-seeking? I mean, self-seeking with your time, with your money, with your resources? Are, are you easily angered? Are you easily put off by things? Do you, do you keep a record of wrongs? And maybe not intentionally, but maybe you're like, man, that really hurt me. And then later that comes in and you're like, bam, evidence that you're wrong. That's a record of wrongs. Do you delight in evil? And if you say no, then, then you're a liar because you've driven a car in traffic. And I know that you've delighted in the hopes that that person would veer off a little bit. So let's be honest about here. We're not, we're not always in the love is category. So are you living your life according to the love is category? Because the first list of what love is shows us the character of God and the core of God's love. Shows us the character and the core of God's love, which, which we're called to live according to. We're called to live by. But if we're living according to the second list, if there is more in us that, that is not loving, then we're not only not loving one another, we're not walking with God in relationship with him. So let's, let's look at that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. This is what John tells us. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if you are not a loving person, and I'm not just saying on your week to, to, to greet and be loving, but I mean every single moment of your life. If you're not loving according to God's love, then, then you don't know God. That's what's clear here. If we're not living according to this, if we're not living according to this love, then we're not only void of that love, then we're void of the relationship with God. So we need to love one another based on not only this list, but on who God is, on the character of God. And so we can know God's true spirit by loving one another this way. And the third and final is that we can know God's true spirit by abiding in him. And so how do we know God? How do we have relationship with him? By abiding in him. And the word abide basically means to remain, to be constant in. And John uses the word abide and abiding many times throughout his pastoral letter, letter of 1 John. Remember last week I said that in chapter 3 alone, he says it eight times. So there's a consistency here. And the point of him using that word abide and continuing to use this is for him saying, here's how we can obey and truly follow Christ and be in relationship with the Father. 
be in relationship with God. And most, of, uh, most, if not all, of the verbiage that John uses is really, in his pastoral letter, is really stuff he's gleaning from Jesus. If you go and read the gospel letter John, of John, you'll see kind of a parallel there because of what John's gleaning from Jesus. And you see almost a mirror reflection of Jesus' words and John's words. And this is where we get the command to abide. That in John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5, one of the last things, almost as his goodbye message, he tells, Jesus tells his disciples, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus here is explaining that the branches that do not bear fruit, those who do not bear fruit are removed. Those who do not produce fruit are removed from him. But the branches that do bear fruit, and and catch this, this extra piece for those that do bear fruit. It's not just a celebration. Oh man, we got the fruit basket full. But those that do produce fruit are pruned to bear more fruit. So let's, let's just look at what the word pruning actually means. That pruning is necessary. And when it comes to pruning trees, the, the practice of pruning entail, it entitles tangled, rem, targeted removal of diseased, damaged, dead, non-productive, structurally unsound, or otherwise unwanted branches from crop. And so if we are going to be followers of Jesus that produce fruit, we need to submit to the pruning process. What needs to be cut back in your life? If you don't think there is stuff, there, believe me, there is stuff. What is it in your life that needs to be removed? What's the pruning process? Because as we bear fruit, it simply means that we grow in character. We become more like Christ and we reflect the fruit of the Spirit, which is what we see in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. So here's what it looks like for us to produce fruit in the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are those, are those fruits that are being produced in your life? Do you have self-control? Do you have a gentle spirit? Are you faithful? Is there goodness and kindness? Is there patience even with those who seem like they don't get it? who are just constantly in the same cycle of routine? Is there peace in your approach? Is there joy in your life? And is there genuine Christ-like love? Because here's what it looks like. This is the fruit that we see of the spirit that is produced in a believer's life. But before we go to produce fruit, church, if we're gonna be able to discern false teachers, false spirits, and be able to live according to God's true spirit, then we really need to submit to that pruning process. And that isn't fun. Never meant to be fun, but it's important. 
And so are we submitting, think about this, in this moment as we come to a close and we go back to a time of worship, it's really easy for us to shift, but think about this. Are you submitting to God in the process of the pruning? Allowing him to really point out and target as we talked in the first week, that, that darkness stuff, to expose it and target the removal of whatever's diseased, whatever's damaged, dead, non-productive, structurally unsound, or otherwise unwanted. Are you submitting to that? And are you living according to God's true and loving spirit? Let's pray.